Alright, we're going to start here on the top of Tzadik Vavah. And Aleph, the Gemara is going to continue to discuss the memory of Rova and the Brightlet that we brought down. One of the things that Rova had proposed is that when it comes to Nikiv Gemotzi Mashke, if it has a crack in it big enough that liquid seeps out of it, that that ruins a Gistera. If you had a shard, then the shard is no longer usable, but it still has a full-fledged din of a cleat. So the Gemara wants to understand that. Why is it that when it comes to the Gistera, when it has a leak in it, then it's gone. But a Kli, when it has a leak in it, is not gone. Amravasi shonim. Kli cheres shiro bikones mashke. Velo amru motzi mashke leinyan Gistera. That, in terms of a Kli, the first impactful shiur is bikones mashke, when it allows liquid to enter it. And we only talked about motzi mashke with regards to a shard of pottery. My time, huh? Why is it by the shard of pottery that, that there is impact from the seepage of liquid out of it. Bring a shard for the shard. If you have a full-fledged kli, for instance, the best way to look at it is like a flower pot that has holes on the bottom. When you water it, you have a little plate that you put under it to catch the water that comes out of it. So if you have a full-fledged kli that's seeping a little liquid, then you'll bring a shard or something to place under it to catch the liquid. But if you have a shard that has that problem, you're not going to bring another shard to take care of the shard. doesn't make sense. You throw the shard out and you move on to the next one. So that's the difference between a shard and a full-fledged kli. So Amar Ula, Tre Amurai Bimarovo. There are two Amuraim in the West, in Eretz Yisrael, that argue about this. Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Avin, Rabbi Yossi Barzavda. Chanamar Kimotzi Rimon, Chanamar Shorish Katan. One of them says that the size is the amount of a Ramon, the size of a pomegranate, of the hole that has to be to be it. And one of them says, Kishorish Katan. One of them says that it has to be the size of a small root. The Simanech, to remember it is, That it doesn't matter whether you have a lot or a little. So here they took the two extreme views. If you remember from the statements of Rova, of the span of Shiurim that he gave you, the biggest Shiur that he gave you was a Ramon, a pomegranate. The smallest shiur that he gave you was Kishorish Katan, in terms of ruining the Kli. You also have Konis Mashke and Motsi Mashke, but those are at the bottom end. They really don't have so much impact. In terms of impact on the Kli, the first one to have impact is Shorish Katan. So they have extreme views. One is at the Shorish Katan, the small root, and the other one's all the way at the Rimon. What are they speaking about? Rashi says, Behechsher Zra'im. That they're arguing about when is it classified to be Talush versus Mechubar for Hechsher Zra'im in order to allow them to have water poured on them and it will be Machshir the Kabel Tumah. So they're arguing about how big a hole you need for it to be considered Mechubar and not Talush. That's the way Rashi says it. Tosafot, on the other hand, says that he thinks that it has nothing to do with Hechsher Zra'im. But rather, Rabbeinu Tam says, Le'inya Mukaf Samid Patil. It was the last statement in Rava that they're arguing about. Which is that we said before that if it's hukaf tzamidu patil, that imifchat rubo, if it's missing the rove, then it's not considered protective in the ohelamate. And then we had a second statement from Ravasi, which was that it has to be the size of Rimon. The Gemara answered up, habaravare habazutre, depends on the size of the kli. So what Rabbeinu Tam suggests is the argument of these two mamaraim from Eretz Yisrael is about that. What is the size of a hole you need in this kli in order for it not to be protective inside of oil amate? And that's what they were arguing about. The Gemara says, Amar of Chinina Barkana Mishmei de Rabbi Eliezer, kli cheres shiro kimotzei zeitim. Kli cheres, the shiur from ruining it from being a kli, is kimotzei zeitim, the amount or a hole that would allow olives to fall out of it. He concluded in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, 
So here they bring examples of kelim that are not mikabel tumah. These are kelim that even though they are kelim, they're made out of materials that are not mikabel tumah. For instance, in most places, Rashi translates that as made out of dung. One place he translates it as marble. Clay avanim is stone utensils. And clay adama is that which is made out of dirt. Not earthenware utensils, meaning clay cheres, but adama really made out of the dirt of the earth. They're not Megabal Tuma, not Midoraita, not Midirabanan. Until the robe is gone. But now, what you see here, what you have here, is a statement that argues basically on Rava. Rava said that even after he got past Kemotzi Zayit, you still had another stage of Motsi Rimon. So he said there's still functionality to the Kli, even after it has a hole big enough to allow a Zayat out, and that is until you reach the point of Rimonim. So Rashi says over here, Even if you designate them for Rimonim, it still loses its shame Kli. And that will argue on Rova. And that's the reason that this is brought down over here. Because the girsa that we have, at least the way that we have in our girsa, was the girsa of most of the Sfarim, the Rach, the Rashi, all of these have this girsa. It's similar to a Mishnah in Kelim. So the question is, why was it added? The Mishnah in Kelim says that the standard shiur for a klicheres is motzizayit. The answer is that they are coming to argue on what Rav said before. Rav said that there is something after motzizayit, and they're saying, no, there isn't anything after motzizayit. Once there's a hole the size of an olive head, that's the end of the kli. It's the hor, the gamre. You can't do anything to make it tamay anymore. Now, in terms of tamid patil, there's a bigger shiur, but that's protection. That's to keep it tahor. But in terms of making it tamay, that kli loses its shame kli from the time that it has a hole big enough to let an olive out of it. Right now, we move on to the next parak. The next parak is important because it talks about the malacha vodzaah, different manifestations of malacha vodzaah. And from that, we came to the conclusion, beginning of the Masechta, and Tosafot mentions it again here, that the malacha vodzaah is a little different than other malachot. That is, a zareik mishuta yachid the rishuta rabim. Someone who throws from a private domain to a public domain. Or mishuta rabim li rishuta yachid. Or from a public domain into... The private domain, chayav. Then they are chayav. Mishuta yachid, rishuta yachid. Someone throws from one private domain to another private domain, rishuta rabim be'emtza. And you have a public domain in between. Rabbi Kiva mechayev. Rabbi Kiva says, you're chayav in that instance. V'chamim potrim. V'chamim say you are patur. So now, in this instance, at least the way Rabbo read the Mishnah earlier in the Masechta, the machlok between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim over here is about kluta kamisha hundchadamya. The question of when you have an object in motion, how do you view it? When an object in motion, is it a continuum? That means that we look at it from where it started and where it ends, that's all that matters. Or do we look at it as discrete movements along the way? As if it's starting and stopping at every discrete point along the path of the object. So, Rebekiva says we look at it as it's starting and stopping all the way along. That means it goes from private domain into the public, and then from public back into the private. So you are Chayav. On the other hand, the Chachamim say we just look at the continuum. It started in the private domain, ended in the private domain, therefore you are Patur. That is the way Rabbah read this Mishnah. The problem with the way Rabbah read the Mishnah is because it now says Ketzad. What's the example of this? And the Mishnah goes on to give an example of this which is not similar to the way that Rabbah described the Mishnah. And we'll see. Ketzad. Shtei guzuz torot. You have two balconies, two projections, projectiles out of the house that are opposite each other in Rishut Arabim. If you pass something from one to the other, or you throw something one to the other, patur. In both those instances, you are patur. On the other hand, they're both along the same plane. Over here, it means really the same side of the road. It's on the same side, the wall of the house, 
has two balconies that are next to each other, but they cross over, they're hanging over the Rishut Rabim. In that case, a Moshit Chayav, if you pass an object from one to the next, you are Chayav, even though you're passing over the Rishut Rabim. As a rake, if you throw it, you are Patur. Why? The Mishnah tells you why about all these issues, which is, That's the way the Vim worked in the Mishkan. As Rashi describes, the Bnei Mirari, who carried the Krashim, the boards that required the Agalot for the Mishkan, they had four wagons that were with them. Those four wagons were set up in a quadrant. Two of the wagons were close to the Mishkan. The other two wagons were further back in the Rishut Rabim. So what they did was they loaded the wagons, they put the Prashim onto the first wagon that's close to the Mishkan, and then they passed it to the next wagon that's in front of them in the Rishut Rabim. So they're passing on the same line. They're passing from a Rishut Yechid, a wagon. It's four by four Tvachim, above ten Tvachim. It's a private domain. They're passing to the next wagon in front of them, across the Rishut Arabim. And that is why you are Chayav, when you have two balconies on the same wall, that you pass from one to the other, you're Chayav. They didn't throw the Krashim. They're way too heavy to throw. Therefore, they didn't throw them, and you're not Chayav for that. On the other hand, if you're opposite sides of the Rishut Arabim, opposite sides, and then you pass or throw your Patur, because they never did that. There was no reason to pass from one wagon to the next that were next to each other, meaning that right and left of each other, there's no reason to pass it, because they were both, those two wagons were up against where the Mishkan was. So it was only to pass forward to the next one, and that's why you're Chayav in that case. Because, they had two wagons, one in front of the other, in the public domain, and they pass the boards from one to the next, and they don't throw them. What this Mishnah says, and this is what Tosafo pointed out earlier in the Mesechta is, you're only Chayav, when it comes to Otah, it was something that was found in the Mishkan. It has to be identical to the way it's found in the Mishkan. What's the difference between when you throw it from side to side on the Shutra Abim or you slide it on the same side of the Shutra Abim? Misvara, from a logical argument, there should be no difference. There should be no difference between when you throw it, you pass it, all this should be the same. The answer is that Hotah is a Malacha Girua. That's what Tosva calls it. It's not a real Malacha. It's like a quasi Malacha. And therefore, you're only going to be Chayav if it's exactly what they did in the Mishkan. They did it in the Mishkan, you're Chayav. And that's why anytime the Gemara talks about Hotah, it wants to know where it's from. Where in the Mishkan is it? Where do you see this in the Mishkan? It needs a paradigm in the Mishkan in order to be Mikhayevu. And you come up with some interesting outcomes like our Mishnah, which is that the identical activity, but just because it's done in one way instead of another way, will end up one will be Chayav and one will be Patur, because that's not the way it was done in the Mishkan. Again, with any other Malacha, you would just say, okay, if this is the way it's done, if I do it the other way, it's the same Malacha. And so you'll be Chayav. By Yotzah, that is not the case. That's number one. The second thing I pointed out to you is, According to Rabbah, who says that the Machlok at the beginning of the Mishnah is about Kuta Kamisha about whether we look at it as discrete motions or a continuum, then the Ketzah doesn't make sense. The Ketzah is clearly they're passing it above 10 Tfachim. We know that Rishut Rabim only extends up to 10 Tfachim. Above that, it's a Makom Tur. So the way that it's been described in our Mishnah, they're passing the boards above 10 Tfachim because they're in a private domain. To be a private domain, it has to be at least 10 Tfachim high. So you're passing from one wagon to the next, you're passing it above 10 Tfachim. According to Rabbah, the argument between Rabbi Givin and the Chachamim has to be below 10 Tfachim. Because otherwise it's not meaningful that you pass through the Rishut Rabim. It's only meaningful if it's under 10 Tfachim. So how does the Ketzad work here? The Ketzad, according to Rabbah, is not reflective of the case that he thinks they're arguing about. So Tosafot asks the question, he says, in Yerushalmi, there are actually two Gersaot in the Mishnah. The Gersaot in the Mishnah, one says Ketzad, and the other one said, doesn't have Ketzad in the Mishnah. And he says, that's the difference. Depends what you think the machlok between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim is. If you think the machlok between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim is above 10 Tvachim, 
then you can say Ketzad in the Mishnah. Because the case afterwards is that. Rabbah, who says, is below He would have to eliminate the word Ketzad in the Mishnah. Because the two cases are not similar at all. One's the case where we give in a Chachamim. The next case is an issue above Tent Vachim, which is not reflective of their Machloket. Okay, now the Gemara says, Michdei, Zrika Tolada Dehotzahi. Zrika is a Tolada. It's under the category of the Av Malacha, the primary main Av Malacha that is here, which is Hotza. But the Gemara wants to know, Hotza, Gufa Hechaktiva. Hotza, where is that written? Again, what's the Gemara asking? Why does it have to ask it? Tell us what it says again. What do you mean? It's in the Mishkan. Why do you need to know where it's written? None of the Malachot are written in the Torah. We know that there are 39 Malachot, and they were done in the Mishkan. Who asks, where is it written in the Torah for any other Malachot? The answer again, that's what it says, it's Malachot Grua. So the Gemara is going to ask this every time it wants to talk about Hotzah. It's going to ask you, give me a proof. Show me. So they want to know here, Hotzah, where did it happen in the Midbar? That Moshe made a command, and then they put out the message. What was the message? We have enough. Enough donations have been brought for the Mishkan. Moshe, Moshe, where was he sitting? He's sitting in Machane Leviyah. And Machane Leviyah was classified as Rishut Rabim because everybody had to come there. How do we know everybody came there? We know from Parshat Titro. Moshe was sat and Dan the Am. So everybody came to adjudicate their cases in front of Moshe. Later on, the Mishkan's there. Anybody who wants to go through the Mishkan has to pass through Machanei Leviyah. It's a public area. People were going through there all the time. Therefore, Machanei Leviyah is classified as a Shuter Abim. Stop bringing your stuff from your tents, which is a Rishut Yechid, over to the Machanei Leviyah where the donations were collected, which is a Rishut Abim. The Gemara asked me, my Shabbatkai, how do you know that it was on Shabbat? It's very nice. He told him, stop bringing donations. How do you know that he's told him to do that on Shabbat and not on Chol? Could have been on a weekday. It's very easy. You know why he told him to stop bringing it? They had enough. He didn't tell him to stop bringing it because it was Shabbat and you're not allowed to carry. He told him, don't bring it because they have enough materials for the work that they need to do. Which it says explicitly. It says, don't bring it anymore because we have enough. We got what we need. So Gemara says, Gemar havara havara mi yom ha-kippurim. Learn out, from Yom Kippur. So that's the first havara that they put out the message whether they blew the shofar, whatever they did, that you will blow a shofar asur. Just like over there, it's on a day that is asur b'malacha. So to over here, it's b'yom asur b'malacha. Now the avarta shofar trua over there is written by the yovel. But it's written by the yovel because the shofar and the yovel was blown on yom ha-kiburim. So based on the gzei they say just like the havarat shofar, by Yom HaKippurim is on a day that's Asur B'malacha. The Avarat told that was here by Moshe Rabbeinu must have been on a day Asur B'malacha, so it must have been the Yom HaShabbat. So they blew the Shofar in order to tell him, don't bring any more stuff today. Not because they had it sufficient, but because it was Shabbat, and you're not allowed to carry from Rishut HaYechid to Rishut Rabim. What's interesting here is that the Rabbeinu Hanano does not have the entire girsa of this Gemara here. Gemara ends after it says that Moshe said, don't bring any more stuff, and the Gemara doesn't say, we might the Shabbat. This whole piece that we just read, the Rebbein Ochanano does not have any girsa. You know why? You don't need it. But does it really matter whether it happened on Shabbat or not? The answer might be no. Because even if it didn't happen on Shabbat, what do you prove from here? You prove from here that carrying or bringing something from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim is considered to be a Hotza'ah. So even if it was on a weekday, and that's defined as carrying or moving an object from one place to another, that's enough. 
So even if it happened on a weekday, if that's the definition of the movement, then that's all you need over here. Because it says, Don't do any more malacha for the Chumat HaKodesh. What was the malacha he's telling them to desist from? Is from donating, from carrying the objects to him. So he's saying, the Torah defines what they were doing as, or the action, the activity that they were engaged in as a malacha. So even if it's not on Shabbat, the fact that the Torah calls what they were doing a malacha is enough to define it for Shabbat. So Rebbeinu Hananel doesn't have the girsa. We do have the girsa. So the Gemara has it and asks the question and says that, okay, it happened on Shabbat through the Gezer Shavah. But Tosafot points out that even the Rebbeinu Hananel's girsa that doesn't have it, it's because it doesn't matter. It still defined what Hotza'ah was and defined Hotza'ah as a melacha. Now the Gemara says, okay, Ashkechan Hotza'ah, Hachnasa Min Olan. So now you found me taking out from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim. How about the other way around? From Rishut Rabim to Rishut Yachid. Where it says, Svari, it's logical. The problem is moving from one domain to the next. Why does it make a difference which way you move, whether it's from the private to the public or the public to the private, which should be indifferent between them. The Av, the primary Malacha over here, the overarching name that we give to this Malacha is called Hotza. And Hachnasa is under that umbrella. And it's a tolada, it's a derivative of the primary malacha. What's the difference between them? Why would you do that? You're on both of them. They are both considered to be problematic on Shabbat. Why is one called an av and one is called a tolada? Why do you call this one an av, that one a tolada? Then my answer is, If you do two separate avot at the same time, if you do two toladot at the same time, in that instance you'll be chayav because you've now violated things that are in two different categories. If you violate the primary malacha and the derivative malacha, then you only chayav one. Meaning that between the two of them, you're only going to bring one because you can't be chayav for the primary malacha in the category and some things that are part of the subset that is below that av milacha. So because of that, you only bring one korban. So here is a nafka milalacha between an av and a tolada. In general, they have the same dinim, there'll be no difference. The only time it makes a difference is when you've done both or violated both the av and the tolada, you will only be chayab for the av and not for the tolada. So the Agamar says, Ooh, Rabbi Lazar, de mechayev tolada av. That he says that a tolada, that you do at the same time as an av, you bring two. It's a machlok that we saw in the Mishnayot, in Preitot, machlok between Rebbe and the Chachamim. So then, what's the difference for him between a Tolada and an Av? A Maikarile Av, a Maikarile Tolada. Why is it called an Av and a Tolada if they have all the same halachot? Everything's identical between them. Gemara answers here, also answers in the Gemara in Baba Kama. There is some question as to the Girs over here, which is, Hach, Davai Mishkan Chashiva Karayile Av. That which was in the Mishkan and was Chashuv, that is an Av. That which was not in Mishkan, Chashiva, and is still Chashuv, is Lokar Le'av. They didn't call it Av, they called that a Tolada. As Tosafot points out over here, based on this Girsa, then there were things in the Mishkan that don't turn out to be Avot Melacha. Because the definition of Av Melacha over here is that number one, it has to be in the Mishkan, and number two is that it has to be Chashiva. It has to be something that's Chashuv, something that is significant. That means that if you're in the Mishkan and you're not significant, 
then you will not be an Av Melacha. For instance, Menakesh, Mashkez, Zorim, things that the Gemara mentioned in Klal Gadol that are not one of the 39 Melachot. These are Melachot that were done in the Mishkan, yet they're not counted. So why is that? Because if you're in the Mishkan, doesn't mean you're automatically an Av Melacha. You have to be in the Mishkan, plus you have to be Chashuv. On the other hand, there is an alternative Girsa, which is, According to that Girsa, the difference is that anything that was found in the Mishkan automatically makes you Chashuv, and that's why you're an Av. On the other hand, if you're not in the Mishkan, you're not Chashuv, and that's why you're not an Av. And according to that, then anything that was found in the Mishkan which should automatically be an Av. Can't have then, therefore, first of all, an Av. That's outside the Mishkan. And number two is, you can't have a Tolada that is found in the Mishkan, because by being in the Mishkan, you're automatically Chashuv. Whereas according to the other Girsa, or Tosa brings two other Girsa, you can have the possibility where something's in the Mishkan, and yet it's not enough, because it's not Chashiva. And the other thing is that you can have a Tolada that has to be out of the Mishkan, but it could be Chashuv. So the way you have the formulation of the Gemara here, again, in Baba Kama, it's much more extensive. Tosa discusses this. What is the definition of an av? How do we get to a definition of av? Is the definition of av that you were in the Mishkan, period? And that's what makes you chashuv? But the definition of av is that you were in the Mishkan, plus you are chashuv, plus you are significant. And that's why you are an av melacha. That means, again, the naf kamin, or the difference between them is that, can you have a melacha in the Mishkan? That is not an av. According to the one who says you need to be in the Mishkan plus chashuv, the answer is yes. According to the one who says if you're in the Mishkan, you're automatically chashuv, the answer is no. If you're in the Mishkan, you're automatically an av melacha. So that make a difference here. In terms of the way you formulate it, inami haftichtiva kariyav haftalotiva kari tolado. The other possibility is that which is written explicitly in the Torah is called an av. That which is not written in the Torah is called a tolada. Now, truthfully, the only nafkamina Tosfot says between this is whether carrying is considered to be an av or not, because that's the only one that's written in the Torah that might not have been subsumed under the word melacha. Otherwise, the other 39 melachot are not written in the Torah. We assume they're there because they're subsumed under the category of melacha. The only one that we have a question about is hotzah, whether it's really a melacha or not. So therefore, if it's written, it's called an av. That's hotzah. It's not written, it's not considered to be an av. But it's not. That which we have earlier on in the Masechta, Hazarek Dalaramot Bikodlel Someone who throws a object, for amot b'shutar abim, and it lands above tent fachim, b'zarek b'avir. It's as if he threw it in the air, and you're not chayav. Person who throws an object for amot in b'shutar abim above tent fachim, and it stays above tent fachim, never comes down below, that person is patur of alasur. That's what we already saw in our Mishnah, that throwing things above tent fachim is patur of alasur. On the other hand, amatam yut fachim, he throws it below tent fachim, b'zarek b'aretz, as if he threw it on the ground, and therefore, if you carry something, or you throw something, you are chayav. So now, the Gemara says, Again, the Gemara asks, how do you know that throwing something for a mot is chayav? Again, it should be obvious. It's a logical thing. If you carry something for a mot, if you throw it, why shouldn't you be chayav? Yet the Gemara is demanding a source for this. Because we're talking about hotza'ah, therefore the Gemara is going to demand a source. Rabbi Yoshia, because those that were weaving the yiriot, the covers, they throw their needles one to the other. Where it says, If you're a weaver, what are you doing with a needle? The stitchers of the yiriot, those that were sewing the yiriot, they used to throw their needles one to the other. 
How do you know that they were sitting more than four amot away from each other? Maybe they were sitting right next to each other. He passed them the needle. He says, pass me the needle, pass them the needle. Mar says, that can't be the case. Because they're going to bump each other with the needles. You can't sew or stitch right next to someone else. Because as you move your arm around, you're going to bang elbows. You're going to hit each other with the needles. Mar says, all right. Okay, you're right. They have to be separated. But why, who says they have to be separated four amot? Can be separated two amot and still not bump into each other. So that can't be the explanation. Ella, Amrav Chistash, Keno Reg, Biriot, Zokim Buchiar. People who were weaving the Riot used to throw the shuttle. Biriot. Zomar says, It doesn't he hold it in his hand when you throw the shuttle through. You don't just let go of the shuttle so it goes to the other side because otherwise it would just keep unwinding itself and it would just keep running. What you do is you have it on a stick or you have an attachment. When you throw the shuttle through, you can pull it back to yourself afterwards. So he's not releasing it so that it's going to go flying down the moat. Remember, says, yeah, it could be in a case where when it's the last thread, the end of the thread, the last time he throws the shuttle through, there he doesn't need the shuttle to come back. He can release it and let it go all the way. Umar says, He's doing this in an area that is and that's because the Uriot that he is working with create an enclosure that is going to make it not a Rishut Rabim anymore, but a Makom Ptur. So because of that, if you're between the walls of the Yeriot, that's not called a Rishut Rabim, but a Makom Ptur. You don't have Dalit Tfachim between you. It's too tight in order to be classified as a Rishut Rabim. So Gemara says, okay, El Shekein or Ge Yeriot, Zokim Bochiar Lishualeim. Because those that were weaving the Yeriot used to throw the shuttle to someone who wanted to borrow it from them. The other guy needed a shuttle, he would throw it over to him. He said, I got two, you need one? Okay, take mine. So then, Vedilma Gabe Adadi Abiyatve, the Gemara says, how do you know they were sitting far apart again? The Gemara says, it have to be. Matu Adadi Bechefet. Because otherwise they would hit each other with the edge of the shuttle. As they threw the shuttle through, they would hit each other. And therefore, for sure, they had to sit apart. Gemara says, Vedilma Shalchufe Habi Mishalfe. Here the Gemara doesn't say, oh, maybe they're less than Dalai Ramot. could have asked that question as well. Or maybe it's obvious to the Gemara they need more space. But the Gemara answer is, maybe they are staggered. Who says that they have to be directly next to each other? They can just be staggered along the way. And that way they won't hit each other, but they'll still be closer than four Ramot to each other. Vitu. And in addition to that, Mishele Mehadadi. Did they really borrow from each other? Vatanya Luda, or the other Girsa that we have in the Yalkut, Zatanya Levi. They have a brighter that says, Ish, Ish, Mimlachto, Asherhema Osim. Mimlachto, Ose, Ben Ose, Melachet, Chavero. Each person did their own work, and what they had, both in the way of skills, and in the way of materials, was sufficient for them. They didn't have to borrow from anybody else, they didn't have to give to anyone else. So there was no idea here of throwing the shuttle from one to another, because nobody needed to borrow a shuttle. Everybody had their own shuttle to work with. Vitu. All right, you're asking about throwing. How about just carrying in the Rishut Rabim? We said before, oh, carrying Rishut Rabim is Dalamot is Chayav. What about throwing? How do you know even walking with the object, carrying the object for Amot Bishut Rabim is Chayav? Ella, call Dalamot Bishut Rabim, Gemara Gemiri Law. That anything that has to do with moving for Amot in Rishut Rabim is Allah Chalamoshe Misinai. It's Minam It's not something that we can get from the Torah. We don't have a source in the Torah from it, and it's Allah Chalamosha Misinai. What's interesting over here is back on Davav Tosafot mentions it, and Dav Chet Rashi mentions it, when the Gemara there is talking about Zorek, Kaveret, and other things there, they both cite this Gemara as a proof. What do they cite? They cite, well, because the weavers of the Yeriot threw things to each other, or they were the stitcher, they threw their needles to each other. Both times, Rabbi Givager, back on Davav and Dav Chet says, how do they bring this as a proof? The Gemara's conclusion over here is that none of those were approved. 
The answer is that it's Gemara Gemirula. It's Eilochah Lamoshe Misinai. So he leaves it as a Tzarech and why Rashi and Tosafot still bring this Gemara or the activities of these individuals as a proof to something about you can't throw a Rashut, you can only throw an object. Why are they bringing any proof here? It doesn't really matter. What matters is Gemara Gemirula. The final say is that it's Eilochah Lamoshe Misinai has nothing to do with the weavers or the stitchers over here. I'm Rabbi Makoshesh Eitzim, the one who was chopping wood in the Midbar, Mavir Arba Amot Pirshut Arbim What was the violation? What was the thing that he did wrong? That he carried four Amot Pirshut Arbim. Bematnitatana, in a bright that we have it, that he was Toleshava. He was someone who picked something, took something away from where it was growing. So whether he cut the wood off, he chopped the wood off, whatever it is, Ravacha Rabbi Yaakov Me'amer Hava. He was piling up wood, which is also a malacha on Shabbat, making it into a big pile to gather scattered objects and bring them together into a central location. So the Mainaf Camino, what's to make a difference what he did? He got killed. He's done. It's all in the past. Why does it make a difference what he did wrong? So the Gemara says, I found this buried. Basically, I found something in the Geniza. Bei Rabbi Chia, in the base Medjish Rabbi Chia, Vakatuv Bei, and it's written on it. Isi ben Yehuda Omer, Avot Malachot Arbeim Chaser Achat. Isi ben Yehuda says that the Avot Malachot are 39. Ve'enu Chayav El Achat. And you only Chayav one for those 39. Achat? Betulo? How could you suggest that he's Chayav? If he violated all 39 of them, that he's only bring one Korban and no more? Vatsnai, we have the Mishnah in Klaal Gado that says, Avot Malachot Arbeim Chaser Achat. The Avot Malachot are 39. Why did the Mishnah enumerate 39? You could just count them. You would have known yourself. If you did them all in one forgetting, you're Chayav on all 39 of them. So how can you have a bright of a Misa Ben Yudah says you're only Chayav one? So Ema Enu Chayav Alachat Mehem. This bright of Misa Ben Yudah is you're not Chayav on one of them. Out of the 39, you're not Chayav on one of them. Now, everybody agrees. So, Sabot says this early in the Masechta. Rashi mentions it here as well a little bit. That we're not talking about a Korban Chatat. As far as a Korban Chatat is concerned, everybody agrees that you're Chayav for 39. If you violate all 39 Malachot, you're Chayav 39 Chatot. The only question is about Chiyuv Mitah, the death penalty. The death penalty does not apply to all 39 of them, only to 38 of them. So, we don't know which one it is. Of one of those, it's an exception. The reason that they say that is because nobody argues on the explicit mission in Klagado. The explicit mission in Klagado says there are 39 Malachot, and we say, why does it say there are 39? Tell you that you have 39 Chatot. So, nobody's going to argue on an explicit Mishnah. So, that everybody has to agree that we're talking about Chatot. So, what Rav found here was a Migidat Starim, part of the Gniza. In their day, they had to learn something Be'alpeh, Torah Shib'alpeh. But they couldn't always remember it up front. When they heard a new halacha, they heard a new idea. They used to write it down on a scrap. They used to write it down, memorize it. When they finished memorizing it, they used to bury the scrap because they had to make it Be'alpeh. So they were Nignas, the Torah things that they wrote down. So what they found here in Be'er Rabbiya was one of those scraps that somebody had used for Torah Shib'alpeh. And now they're trying to interpret what it means. So what they figure out in the end is that it means that there are 39 malachot, and out of those 39, only 38 of them are chayav mitah. There's one of them that's not chayav mitah. Which is the one? We don't know. And that's what's helpful about what we just learned from the Mikoshesh. So therefore, Rabbi Yehuda, pshitalei damavir chayav. Rabbi Yehuda, to him it's pashut, that if you carry something in pshut rabim, that you are chayav mitah. I mean, that's not the one that's the exception. He knows for sure not. How do you know that? Because what happens to the Mikoshesh? It's him in the Midbar, he's put to death. So if you think the violation that he did was that he carried four Amotu Shut he's put to death, we know that's not the one. And the Braita says that for sure you get the death penalty for picking something on Shabbat, for separating it from where it's growing. 
That piling up things, making a pile on Shabbat, is problematic. So each one of them says that that was not the one that we have a question about in terms of which one of the 39 does not get a chiyuv mitah. So there is enough community, even though it happened in the past, and it's let bygones be bygones. Nevertheless, it has impact on us because it gives us information about which melachot we know for sure your chayav mitah for. Because based on that, whatever your opinion is, we know that the Mikoshesh was put to death for that item. Who was the Mikoshesh? The Torah does not tell us who the Mikoshesh was. Here, the Gemara says it's Slavchad. And similarly, it says, And it says later on, They say, Our father died in the Midbar. Just like before the Ish that was mentioned is the quote-unquote who we don't know it is. And later on we have someone saying, well, our father died in the Midbar. Well, who died in the Midbar? The Mikoshesh Eitzim. The truth is everybody died in the Midbar. Anybody from 20 to 60 died in the Midbar. But the point is that they said something that seemed to be unusual. Our father died in the Midbar. It means it sounds like it was out of the ordinary. Extraordinary that he had died. It wasn't part of the normal death process of the Midbar. So who died in the Midbar was the Mikoshe Shetzim. Dibrei Rabbi Akiva. That's the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Amar lo, Rabbi Yudha ben Beteira, Akiva, ben Kachu, ben Kachata, did didenetadin. Whether you're right or you're wrong, in the end you're going to get punished for this. Because, im kidvarecha, if you're right, har Torah kisato, vatamigaleoto. The Torah didn't say who it was. And now you're telling us who it was. The Torah left it intentionally as cryptic, so we didn't know who it was, and now you're telling us who it was. So now you're violating the quote-unquote secrecy of the Torah that it wanted to keep it cryptic. V'lav. And if you're wrong, then you are motzi shemra on tzlafchot, because he didn't do this. Wait a minute. Habib Kiva doesn't have a problem. Why? Because it really wasn't covered up by the Torah. It was a shava. The Gzei makes it as if it was explicitly written in the Torah. What does Rabbi Yehuda ben Teres say? It says, Gzei Roshava lo gamar. He didn't learn the Gzei of Rabbi Akiva. See, what do you have here? They have an argument about whether it was a Gzei or not. So if I ask an obvious question, his answer had tremendous implications. He says, so why didn't Rabbi Yehuda ben Metera just accept the Gzei from Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva got the Gzei from his Rabbi. Rabbi Yehuda ben Metera could also accept the Gzei so listen to this answer. They had a fixed number of Gzerot Shavot that were learned in the Torah. This was above the number. That's why Rabbi Yudim and Terah didn't accept it. Rabbi Yudim and Terah had his list of the Gzerot Shavot. And this would exceed the number that they knew. They had a Mesorah about the number. It's an unbelievable statement by Rabbi Otam. We don't find any such thing in the Gemara. But what we do find in the Gemara in places, and that's why the Rabbi Otam is saying it, is that the Gemara sometimes says, oh, a person can't be done Gzereshev by himself. You need a Mesorah for it. You always need a Mesorah for it. In other places, we see the Gemara bringing up Shavot as if they were willy-nilly. How come in some places they do, some places they don't? But it seems that the Gemara knew that some Gzereshevot existed. They didn't know what the Drusha was. Other places they knew they had a drush, they didn't know where to get it from, they're looking for Xerah Shavot. And nevertheless, even in these instances, we have arguments between people, and that one's not accepting Xerah Shavot or the other one. So some say that you only can have Xerah Shavot if you have a direct Mesorah from your Rebbe. That's the way that some of the other Rishonim solved the problem. You need a direct Mesorah in order to have Xerah Shavot. Reino Tam says, no, the issue is that you, there's a fixed number, like there's 613 mitzvot. Once we know there's 613 mitzvot, the Monah mitzvot, what do they do? They all try to come up with the 613. Everybody has a different count to the 613. 
But if you add one in, you've got to drop one of the others that someone else has. Same thing by the Zerot Shavot. The Rebbein Tam says the same thing as here. They had a fixed number and they had to work with it. But it's clear in the Gemara that you have this problem and the Mishonim are trying to deal with it in different ways. So Gemara says, So who was this Tzlafchad? What was the problem that he had? So he says, He was from the Mapilim. Those that after the punishment of the Meraglim is announced that they're going to stay in the Midbar for 40 years, there are a bunch of people who say we're going anyway and they go ahead and they get killed. What's interesting here, if that is the answer of Yehuda ben Matera, then why doesn't he have the same problem that Rabbi Akiva had? He just now disclosed what Slavcha did, which was that he was min ha-ma'apilim. Rashi notes over here that the Avera ve'apilu is not as bad as that of the Mikoshesh Etzim. And that's how he solves the problem between Yehuda ben Matera and Rabbi Akiva. Similarly, you say, Vayicharaf Hashem bam, Vayilach, that Hashem got angry at them. Melamed, She'af Aron Nitztara, Tivir Rabbi Akiva. That when Hashem gets angry at Aaron and Miriam for speaking Lashon Arab about Moshe Rabbeinu, afterwards the Parsha seems to indicate that only Miriam had Tzorat, not Aaron. So it says, Vayichar Af Hashem Bam, them, in the plural. And then Vayach, and then he leaves. It says, since read Bam in the plural, that also Aaron had Tzorat. You're in trouble either way. If you're right, the Torah kisato, but I'm Torah covered it up, and now you are disclosing information the Torah did not want to disclose. Vimav, if you're wrong, at then you're being motzi shemra on Arona Kohen. Ella haktiv bam. What do you mean? It says it in plural, bam. Rabbi Kiva has a good source for his saying that Aaron also got Sarat. So Rabbi Yudim Sarah says, how will be gzifo ba'alma? That's when Hashem chastised them, that he was angry. He was angry at both of them. It doesn't say that he gave both of them Sarat. Tanyo kemande amar afaron nitzdara. We have a brayta that supports the one who says that Aaron also got Sarat, meaning Rabbi Akiva. Dichtiv. Vayifen Aaron el Miriam. Aaron turns to Miriam. Vinei mitzorat. And she is mitzorat. Kashalek. She is covered in leprosy. Tana. Shepina mitzarato. What does it mean by Ifen Aaron that he turned? What did he turn away from? Turned away from his own Sarat to look at the Sarat that Miriam had. Rashi seems to say that. It was more than he turned away, but actually he had to write and then it left him, and then he saw that it was on Miriam. Someone who improperly is suspicious of an individual who didn't do anything wrong, he gets punished bodily, physically for that. From this week's parsha, parsha Shmot. Vain Yilo Yaminuli, Moshe when he's standing at the sne, says Bnei Yisrael will not believe that he is the leader. The Galia Kamea Kodesh Baruch Hu Derem Neisrael. God knew that they would believe him. Amarlo Hein Maminim Bnei Maminim. The Jews are believers. The children are believers. Vata Ein Sofcha Lamin. And you, in the end, are going to be the one who doesn't believe. Hein Maminim. They're believers. Dichtiv Vaya Amen Ha'am. When Moshe shows up. They actually believe him. Number two is Bnei Maminim. They're the children of believers. Because it says by Avram, right before Brit Ben Avtarim, they mean by Hashem, he believes in Hashem. So Avram is a believer. And his children, the people of Bnei Son, they get the message from Moshe, are believers. So that's the Maminim, Bnei Maminim. Ata, En Tzobchala Amin. You in the end are not going to be a believer. Shinamar, they're punished. Aaron and Moshe are punished by Meimi Riva. Because it says, Le'an lo imantim bi lahaktisheni. That you didn't believe in me to be Megadesh. My shame. Mimai Delaka. How do you know that Moshe was punished bodily with his goof for that? Tichtiv. Hashem lo. What was the oath that Hashem gave Moshe after that? Put your hand into your chest, into your shirt, and pull it out. When he pulled it out, what was on his hand? Tzarat. 
So here we see that he was punished because he suspected Bnei Israel would not believe him. And he was Khoshed Bikshirim. He was someone that was suspicious or suspectful of someone that was kosher. Alright, tomorrow we'll discuss this a little more, exactly when this applies, a Khoshed Bikshirim. Is that always? Or are there times when you can be Khoshed and you can be suspicious of individuals? Okay, we'll stop here.